Today on Blue 58, J.J. Watt is a free agent. The Packers could use some help on the defensive line. Everybody's connecting the dots, so does it make sense? Let's talk about it, then review our predictions for the 2020 season. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got a lot to cover on this episode, so let's dive right in. Starting with J.J. Watt, he has indeed been released by the Houston Texans, and everybody is... Well, seem, seeming to think that the Packers might be in this conversation. And depending on who you ask and who you follow on the Internet, you may have seen some people saying, yeah, it's down to the Packers and, and a couple other teams uh, as of right now. So we've got to answer two questions here. Is J.J. Watt still good? And what would it take to sign him? So assuming the Packers are interested in signing him, is it a good idea to do so? Is he still good? I would say yes with a caveat. First, he is still good. The counting numbers, the raw numbers don't look all that great. Just five sacks in 2020. 14 tackles for a loss, though. That means his production ratio is still above one, which is good. Per snap, he's still really good. Pressure on 8.9% of his pass rushes this year. That's his lowest number since 2016, but still a pretty good number. According to ESPN, he's got a 22% pass rush win rate. That is top 10 in the NFL. I have seen some claims out there that he was double teamed at the highest rate in the NFL. I'm skeptical of that given what we know about Aaron Donald, and I haven't been able to track down those numbers myself, so that may have may not be true. But still, a high rate of double team teams for Watt would jive with some of his other numbers. Pro Football Focus graded him really well this year, and grading really well while not producing a lot of big numbers, even if you're pressuring people pretty consistently would kind of align with uh, with a high rate of double teams. They had him at an 85.5 overall. That would have been the number three player on the Packers defense. They graded him 81 in run defense. That would have been tops on the Packers. And they graded him 76.7 this season as a pass rusher. That is number two or would have been number two among Packers pass rushers. The caveat with J.J. Watt is that he has not been reliably healthy for pretty much half a decade now. 2016 to present, he's appeared in 48 of 80 possible games. For what it's worth, arguing the other way, he never appeared on the injury report at all in any capacity in 2020. So he's been healthy recently. The second big question as it pertains to J.J. Watt is what would it take to sign him? Well, to answer that, we've got to use my favorite pair of words, in football analysis. It depends. All right. And that is true of everything. Everything depends on something. But in this situation, it really depends on what J.J. Watt wants. There are two or three things he could want. First, he could be in a situation where he is just in pure ring chasing mode. He just wants to take the veteran minimum salary on a contender and just play and see if he can help them win a title. The vet minimum looks like it's just over $1.3 million this year, and that looks looking good for the Packers, but it's also good for teams like, and I don't have any connection here, so I'm just throwing out an example, but a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If he wanted to join a contender, somebody who he knows is going to be good, it could be that he wants to do just something like that. If he is all about just getting to a good team, that might be his mindset. There's a variant of this approach that I'm calling mercenary ring chasing that he might be interested in as well. Taking a short-term deal, but still a market-driven deal on a team that could be a contender. 
Your best example here, your best model, is a guy like Ndamukong Sue. He has signed three one-year deals in a row, but not for cheap. Dating back to 2018, here are his salaries. $14 million with the Rams in 2018, $9.2 million with the Buccaneers in 2019, and $8 million this past year with the Buccaneers. He wants to be on a team that's playing for a ring for sure, but he's not going to come cheap if he wants to do it. And that's a totally fair position for J.J. Watt to be in. So if if you're looking at teams that might be in, in that sort of mold, look at the Browns and Colts. They've both got a lot of cap space. They're both pretty solid teams. And if he, he wants to balance chasing a ring with still making some money, that could be a pretty good option. Finally, he might just be looking for a fun story regardless of rings. Look, he's been in the league for more than a decade now. Maybe he just wants to have a good time. Football's been a job for a long time, and maybe while it's going to continue to be a job, maybe he wants to have a good time doing that job. In those sorts of situations, I think the Packers and Steelers are pretty much the only teams on the list. This is going to be J.J. Watt taking whatever he thinks is fair on a team that would just be fun to play for. He's from Wisconsin. It would make sense for him to want to go to the Packers. His brother T.J. plays for the Steelers, it would be fun for him to go there. And his, his other brother, Derek, uh, also plays for the Steelers. This whole approach hinges on what J.J. Watt wants, which is fun and interesting. Uh, so often, I think storylines, free agent storylines, are approached beginning, middle, and end uh, based on what teams want and what's good for teams. Well, there's another component to this, too, and it's what players want. And this storyline is going to be all about what J.J. Watt wants. If he wants a big contract, if he wants to cash in again, he can probably get that. If he wants to take a middle road and, you know, find a team that's going to pay him pretty well but also allow him to join a contending squad, he can probably get that, too. If he just wants to, to chase that ring and he'll take whatever salary it, it is necessary to do that, he's going to have options to do that as well. It's all about J.J. Watt here and what he wants, and I think that is pretty cool. It's time to do something now that I think is a, is one of the most fun things I get to do as the host of this show. It's time to review our predictions from the 2020 season, and we're taking a brief break from our position-by-position position and, and organizational review of the 2020 season to do this, just because I'm afraid if we get too far away, it's not going to even seem like the, the season um, has any connection to what we're talking about at all. So it's time to review our predictions. We made 34 predictions this season uh, coming into the year, and we're going to take a second and review review all of them and see how we did. And surprisingly, we had a remarkably good year here. So we're going to start, I think, with the ones that we flat out got wrong. Um, and there were a few of them. First and foremost, I predicted that the Packers would have fewer than 13 wins this year. The Packers had exactly 13 wins this year. So there wasn't really much of a regression. I was never firmly in the, oh, they're, they're definitely going to regress camp. And I have pointed out on several occasions that regressions from a win perspective is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think it was possible coming into this year that the Packers won fewer games than in 2020. Um, but were a better team overall. And as it turned out, they won exactly as many games as they did in, in 2019 and were a better team overall as well. I predicted the Packers would have better special teams by Football Outsiders DVOA metric. That did not work out. The Packers were 25th in DVOA in 2020, down from 18th in 2019. And I think anybody who looked at it would be uh, pretty pretty clear, pretty 
well aware that the Packers were not very good on special teams. I predicted that Aaron Jones would have more than 12 touchdowns in 2020, and there was a comparison prediction that went with this that said that uh, Jones would have fewer touchdowns than he did in 2019. Um, He did that. I was correct in that, but he also only had 11 total TDs in 2020. That was down from his 2019 total. This is the the most interesting one I think I got wrong. Um, up next, uh, that A.J. Dillon would finish 2020 with more snaps than Jamal Williams. So my thinking on this was that uh, A.J. Dillon would start clearly behind Jamal Williams on the depth chart. And then as the season went on, he would slowly supplant him until he was playing a bigger and bigger role in the Packers offense down the stretch. And that may have happened uh, had A.J. Dillon not contracted COVID-19 midseason, and that kind of derailed his entire year. However, I don't think there's a really good chance that that would have happened just because of what we saw about how the Packers were using Dylan even before he got sick. It's pretty clear that Williams was pretty far ahead of him on the depth chart, even if it was just one spot, technically. As it stood, Jamal Williams finished 2019, 2020, excuse me, with 418 snaps, and A.J. Dillon had just 97 on offense. I also predicted that Packers rookies would make fewer than six starts total. Just felt like the the Packers rookie class was not in a situation where they were going to um, really contribute all that much this year. But as it turned out, rookies played a pretty sizable role, at least for the 2020 team. Uh, Rookies started 19 games for the Packers in 2020. Chris Barnes started 10. Kamal Martin started 6. Dominique Daphne started 2. And Josiah DeGora started 1. And of all the predictions I got wrong this year, this is probably the one that I would, would take back even in retrospect. Um, just it, it, there were options there to be had at inside linebacker. And I think I was, I think if I recall correctly, I should have looked this up before I started talking about this prediction. I made this one after Kamal Martin was injured in the preseason in training camp. And I just thought maybe at that point, we weren't really going to get anything from inside linebackers at that point. But as it turned out, 16 starts from Barn and Martin in 20, 2020. I'm laughing because I'm looking at the next one on the list, and I predicted that Jay Sternberger would lead Packers tight ends in catches in 2020. Just going to get really close to the microphone here for a second. Uh, that was that was not correct. Uh, Jay Sternberger did not have a very good 2020 season. He did not get anywhere close to leading the Packers in catches in 2020, though he did finish second among Packers tight ends in catches with 12 ahead of Mercedes Lewis, who had just 10. Robert Tunyon, of course, had 52, though. I predicted that Preston Smith would have more than five sacks. That is incorrect. I predicted that Kenny Clark would make the Pro Bowl. That was also incorrect. He did not make the Pro Bowl, though he probably should. I predicted that Rashawn Gary would have more than five sacks. That is technically incorrect. He finished with exactly five sacks. And then to to finish out... um, one bridging between correct and incorrect, a pair here between correct and, and incorrect as we will transition from the, the wrong predictions to the correct ones. I predicted in a, in a 2019 free agency into 2020, kind of twofer here, I predicted that Tremont Williams would play at least one game for the 2020 Packers and that Jared Veld here would not play any games for the 2020 Packers. Now, both of these respectively, are technically incorrect and technically correct, but in hilarious fashion. Because Tremont Williams was on the Packers roster in 2020 and was active for a game but did not play. 
So I am technically incorrect there. He did not play in any games for the Packers in 2020. Jared Veld here, on the other hand, was on the roster, but was never active due to COVID-19 and therefore technically never played in any games for the 2020 Packers. Football is extremely stupid. Let me just say that. Circling back to correct predictions, I don't want to spend a whole ton of time on this because I, I don't want to just talk about things that I was right about because that's boring. Who cares about that? It's more fun to be wrong. Uh, predicted the Packers would have more than nine wins this year. That's an extremely low bar, duh. Um, but there were people saying the Packers were going to go like eight and eight, so it, it was a little bit of fun to push back there. Predicted the Packers would win the NFC North. They did. Predicted the Packers would advance at least to the divisional round. They did. What happened in the NFC Championship? Don't have to talk about that. Uh, had a bunch of predictions about where the Packers would finish by DVOA relative to 2019, and they did surprisingly well uh, relative to their 2019 performance, even in some of the ones where they did did really well last year. Uh, predicted that Aaron Rodgers would throw for more than 30 touchdowns, that Devontae Adams would break 1,000 yards, and that Aaron Jones would also break 1,000 yards. Those things all came true. This is the one I feel I got the absolute luckiest about, um, Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I predicted, would combine for more than 1,100 receiving yards. Lazard had 451, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling had 690, giving them a combined total of 1,141 yards for 2020. So we're one MVS 50-50 ball away from that prediction being incorrect. And then a bunch of other stat-related predictions. Jair Alexander making the Pro Bowl. Things worked out pretty well for us in 2020. Also, ooh, the the two the three predictions I feel the best about. Four predictions that that are that I feel the best about that I got correct that um, just kind of turned out to be sort of fun are, are these four. First predicted that the Packers would play more than 60 players in 2020. They used 71 in 2020, 10th most in the NFL. They only used 60 players in all of 2019. They used 71 in 2020, a lot of roster churn for the Packers. I also predicted David Bakhtiari would receive a contract extension before the end of the season. He has already had a contract extension and a contract restructure since we made that prediction. That is kind of fun. Uh, Predicted that undrafted free agent uh, training camp darling John Lovett would be on the active roster at some point. He knocked that out in week one, so that was a fun development. And finally, predicted the Packers, or predicted rather the NFL, would play its entire 2020 season. And uh, that actually ended up happening. Maybe to my surprise as much as anybody else's, but uh, it actually ended up working out well. So in a bizarre twist, out of the 34 predictions we made last year, got 24 correct. Maybe we need to set a very, very much higher bar next year. Maybe I'll make some really wild predictions heading into into 2021. If you are interested in making predictions way too early, and maybe that's how we should do it. Maybe we shouldn't wait until training camp starts. Maybe I should make a bunch of predictions right now about 2021, and then we'll do another round right before training camp. Coming up with podcast ideas live on the podcast. Let's do that. I'm going to write that down. Uh, 2021 season ideas, one season ideas. There it's written down. We'll do that in an upcoming episode. We'll make predictions about the 2021 season. If you would like to make some predictions, let us know. And a great place to do that as we segue into something, 
uh, that may be of interest to you would be in our Discord server. We have a Discord server that's available to Patreon supporters of the Power Sweep. The Power Sweep or Patreon.com slash the Power Sweep is the best way for you to get involved there. At least $1 a month gets you in the club and you get access to our Discord server as well as uh, bonus content that comes out. Uh, both written content and audio content. And we've got an interesting piece coming out for you. It's actually out already uh, by the time you are hearing this episode. The one and only unaired episode in the history of Blue 58. So if that doesn't whet your appetite, uh, I don't know what will. Thepowersweep.com or patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Get involved on Patreon. Uh, It's fun, and we have a lot of fun there. Uh, Finally, a couple questions to close out here. First, Patrick asks via Discord. That's something you can do there. You give any credence to the idea that the Bears hired Mike Pettin to gain some sort of secret knowledge or extra insight about the Packers. I've seen that discussed a few places online over the weekend, just wondering your thoughts, specific to Pettin and maybe on the concept in general. I don't discount this idea, but I don't think it's the primary motivation for the Bears either. Anything Pettin gives them is either, first, something they already know about the Packers. Yeah, you want to watch out for this Aaron Rodgers guy, Devontae Adams. He's really tough to guard off the line. Aaron Jones is difficult, blah, blah, blah. They know all of those things, and they probably have a pretty good conceptual framework for what the Packers are going to do on offense. So not a lot of upside there for them. Secondly, anything they do learn from Pettin is likely to be outdated by the time it's going to matter. So they hire Mike Pettin now. And they aren't going to play the Packers for at least seven months. Chances are the Packers have changed over everything they're doing already. Or, like in the first point, it probably doesn't matter for the Bears anyway because they already know it. I think the better way to think about this is from Mike Pettin's perspective. So he is thinking about his future NFL employment, whether that's in Chicago or somewhere else. Why would he want to work with the Bears? Well, I'll give you a few reasons. Uh, Khalil Mack, Eddie Goldman, Roquan Smith, Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson. It's a nice group of talent, and chances are their defense is going to be pretty darn good in 2020. If I'm Mike Patton and I'm thinking about my long-term prospects in the NFL, what I want is a situation where I can say, look at this defense that I was a part of. I helped them become even better than they already were, and uh, you should hire me and give me more money to run your defense because that is something that I can do very well. Um, If you're looking to rebrand yourself, and uh, kind of rebound from an ignominious exit in Green Bay, I would probably try to do it at a place where the the bar for success is pretty low because the Bears have a pretty good defense, and given how their 2020 season turned out, they can only go up. Uh, I might try to catch them on the upswing and see if I can ride that upswing with them. Secondly, Christina asks about games that would be good to rewatch. um now that we are in the long dark of the offseason, do you have any game pass recommendations, maybe close games that would be fun to watch or rewatch? Not so much a close game rewatcher because it stresses me out even in retrospect, but I've got five games that you might want to take a look at. First and foremost, the Packers 2014 win over the Eagles. You should watch this one because it's got just about everything. Defensive touchdowns, one each by Julius Peppers and Casey Hayward. A punt return for a touchdown, 75 yards by Micah Hyde. You've got Eddie Lacy scoring a 32-yard touchdown on a screenplay. You've got Jordy Nelson scoring a touchdown and catching a 64-yard bomb that he doesn't take in for a score. You may have forgotten from this game that Randall Cobb had 129 yards as part of his best season in Green Bay that 2014 year. Give this a look and just enjoy the Packers in their throwback uniforms beating up on the Philadelphia Eagles. You could also watch the 2016 Packers divisional round win over the Dallas Cowboys. This is a nice close one, per Christina's suggestion or um, request. 
I would watch this one because it's a thrilling game and you know it's got a good ending. Um, there's not really anything else to say about it. That last drive for the Packers is just thrilling. It's exciting. And uh, that throw from Aaron Rodgers to Jared Cook is going to live on forever. You may have forgotten that Ty Montgomery got extensive reps at running back. This was his mid uh, wide receiver to running back transition season, and he started at running back for the Packers in this game. Speaking of wins in Dallas, watch the Packers come back over the Cowboys from 2013. Watch it for that very reason. Down 26-3 at halftime, ended up winning 37-36. You may have forgotten from this game that good old Don Barclay started at tackle. The swing guard tackle occasional center uh, jumps in there at right tackle and starts for the Packers in 2013. Boy, if that doesn't make that comeback even more remarkable, I don't know what would. Finally, to round it out, you want a close game. How about one that finishes 10 to three, the Packers' 2010 win in their in-game in 2010. Watch it because this is kind of the B-side to the entire Super Bowl run. They had to get into the playoffs to first to win the Super Bowl, and this game gets overshadowed sometimes by that win in 2013, probably because of how that game ended in 2013, the the fourth and eight pass from Rodgers to Cobb. Uh, but this one, for my money, is just as exciting. Ten to three, real defensive slugfest. And you may have forgotten a big part of that defensive slugfest was Eric Walden, who had the game of his life with a playoff berth on the line. Who oh boy, 12 tackles, two sacks. This was only his eighth game with the Packers, only double-digit tackle game of his entire career, and one of only six two-sack games in his career. Check it out. You'll be happy you did. Finally, as a bonus, one of my personal favorite games the Packers 2012 55-7 beatdown over the Tennessee Titans. You should watch this because, well, I mean, who doesn't love a completely one-sided game over an overmatched opponent once in a while? Packers got this win, and whatever ended up happening in the playoffs doesn't really matter because they still beat up on the Tennessee Titans that day. You may have forgotten the role Ryan Grant played in this game. He was out of Green Bay after the 2011 season and ended up playing briefly with the Washington football team in 2012, but was cut, returned to Green Bay, and ended up having a pretty big game this week. Had 80 yards rushing, two touchdowns as well, um, well, on the ground, and then a 34-yard catch as well. Uh, Big game for Ryan Grant and his return to Green Bay, and just a fun late-season win overall. That's all I got for you uh, as far as game recommendations. If you've got one, drop it in the comments, wherever you have it to be listening, YouTube, Discord, wherever. It's great, uh, and we will continue to uh, to talk about those sorts of games. And if we get some additional suggestions, I will drop those into a future episode as well. But that is all I have for you in this episode. Do appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. That helps more people find the show and helps us ultimately all become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.